podcast series for the Angaza Awards sponsored by Kenyan Wall Street. We are talking today with Gaki Mongera, a 2022 top 10 woman to watch in banking and finance and the group head of internet banking at Equity Group Holdings. Welcome, Gaki. Thank you for having me, Nuru. Yes, and congratulations on your Angaza Awards recognition. Asante sana. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about all things internet, and I'd like us to start with a very interesting uh, headline that the Daily Mail published in 2000, and they said that the internet was a passing fad. And we all know now that their predictions were grossly misplaced, the internet was not a passing fad. What do you think about the internet and how it has evolved and changing how we live and transact? Uh, well, clearly it's no longer a passing fad. And, right. Um, <laughs> yes. And um, I feel that the internet is uh, one of the greatest inventions of our times uh, because it has brought uh, a huge impact in how we live um, and how we go about our daily business. Uh, first thing, uh, I'd look at uh, the internet as having brought the world closer. So I feel the world is... Uh, there's a lot of convenience when it comes to who can I reach. I believe with all the different media that currently exists, we're in a position to communicate with um, loved ones, uh, business partners, potential business customers um, across different uh, jurisdictions, as long as there's a availability of a stable internet connection. Uh, the internet has also been a, a great source of information both from an educational perspective, whether you need to do your research, um, as well as any content that is really an internet user would require is readily available. And uh, the beauty of the internet, again, is um, there's a huge variation in the content. So there's also the opportunity to, to validate information that currently exists and um, also create content uh, that allows uh, people to you know, to share the great ideas that come up. And um, this has broader reach, of course, uh, through the use of internet. From an economical standpoint, uh, the internet has also been a great source of um, employment, given uh, the different trends that we have seen emerge in the last decade or so. And all this is purely because there is the opportunity to connect uh, with one another through the internet. For instance, um, there's a lot of been there's been a lot of um, employment uh, powered through the different online marketplaces that we currently have uh, from an e-commerce perspective, as well as um, changing the lifestyle of the different users of the internet. I would give an example of say somebody who 15, 20 years ago would was a taxi driver and um, they needed to be at a specific location because Maybe this is where their users or the, their clients would uh, pretty much be at a given uh, point in time. Uh, but the emergence of um, different taxi companies like Uber and uh, the rest that we have uh, is, has been an opportunity that allows uh, both mothers, fathers, and everybody else to go about their business and also access um, be able to build their own livelihood economically, uh, flexibly. And that gives them a bit of flexibility when it comes to taking care of themselves. As a family, you have time with family. You can choose to work at night because you still have access to the same. And uh, finally, again, when we talk about the different online marketplaces that exist, 
the source of employment that we've seen a lot is the different um, online shops that exist. If I need to be innovative enough and create a solution, or if I'm good at, say, painting or anything else, then I'm able to advertise my product and solutions that are readily available online, and uh, any potential buyers would be able to have a look at the same and uh, easily reach out to me. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about the online marketplaces being a source of employment, particularly for, you know, um, smaller companies, uh, younger entrepreneurs who now have access to uh, the global marketplace where, you know, in the past, this wasn't very possible, right? You needed a considerable amount of resources. You needed a clear comparative advantage when it came to being able to survive and trade globally. But now the internet has kind of kind of almost democratized access um, to these marketplaces. And, and I think this is what you're talking about that helps create those uh, economic opportunities at the individual level. Yes, correct. You know, we hear the term a lot, the fourth industrial revolution. And um, this is a term that was coined by Klaus Schwab, who's the founder of the World Economic Forum. He coined it in 2016. But, you know, the fourth industrial revolution is, is said to have started before he coined the term. So it's said to have started with the, the emergence of smart technology in the early 2014, right? So yeah. when you talk about how technology and specifically the internet has helped democratize access to to marketplaces. Um, what are some of the emerging uh, of today and, and in the years to come, help us see what's coming around the corner. What are some of those emerging global Pan-African trends um, in digital banking? Um, and and how, how has uh, you know, COVID really impacted on that? Because I think now we've all accepted automation at, at, at levels that we probably didn't expect to three years ago. So how would you how would you speak to this issue of technology, the internet and the trends that are coming around, particularly from a financial sector perspective? Uh, so uh, within Africa and globally, uh, nobody anticipated the impact that we saw with um, you know, the emergence of COVID-19. And um, the winners during this period have actually been the institutions, specifically in the financial services that um, had adopted digitization uh, earlier on. And um, I believe anybody else who didn't see the value then uh, needs not to be told anymore because that currently exists. And uh, most institutions that who are heavily invested in technology are actually reaping the benefits despite um, the restriction in movement, despite uh, the restriction in travel, because um, the availability of digital functional digital banking tools um, has enabled financial institutions, and this is not restricted to banking, but creates some element of interconnectivity, uh, which has been deployed across the different value chains of the clients that we serve. And um, to give a clear example on how we would link both um, banking, insurance, payments, investments, or capital markets is uh, 
there is a term ecosystem banking or a system chain banking that um, has been adopted and has been a common topic lately, which is really about creating handshakes or seamless handshakes between all players of any ecosystem or value chain that you'd be looking at. And this would cut across um, the health sector, it would cut across agriculture sector, uh, fast moving consumer goods. And what this does is um, financial institutions have been utilize, heavily utilizing data that currently exists to one, extend uh, credit solutions or loans, affordable loans to players of solid ecosystems. Um, and when I talk about players, I'd be thinking of, if we speak about, uh, say, the fast-moving consumer goods, if it's a manufacturing company, who are the players both on the demand and supply side of the business? Uh, demand players would be who are the people that avail the, the raw material. So the supply side would be the team that would uh, be focused on availing solutions to the solutions or anything that is required uh, for the purposes of uh, achieving the final object that's being manufactured. Uh, while on the demand players, it's everybody who's involved in the distribution model. It could be distributors, retailers, stockists, as well as consumers um, who are my, you and I. And um, the one thing highly digitized banks have been doing is um, utilizing the data that they collect from both consumers who are the end users of the products that are out there, uh, it would be uh, the distributors or the retailers using the data that we get to understand their, their behavior, how much would they want to spend, um, how much do they collect on a regular basis. And uh, even for the larger institutions, uh, there's been availability of, um, the bank teams are able to make decisions out of the data they collect. And out of that, you can either credit score customers, you can also avail them uh, different solutions that are available across the financial services, whether it's movement of funds, how do you pay the money, how do you pay it out. Um, and again, out of the same information, uh, you'd come up with um, exciting investment options and partner with other part, um, institutions that would avail uh, investment options to these players. So I feel that. Um, a lot of digitization that has been happening, banks have uh, played a key role in ensuring that they tie in themselves within specific ecosystems. One, to ensure there is um, reliability on the data that they receive, as well as um, consistency in the solutions that they're deploying out there to the customers. So you've really brought some three key themes that I'm hearing coming from you. One is the issue around digitization. And you said that the winners from this whole COVID experience are those firms that had invested and really understood how technology is really the framework within or through which they they can grow their business and 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 you mentioned ecosystem banking and seamless handshakes i haven't heard about seamless handshakes i've heard about frictionless but i haven't this is a new term i have i don't think i've heard about seamless handshakes um across the value chain so um and and i imagine you know it's very similar to what we're seeing in the insurance sector where you have insurance sector players now 
um, introducing smart contracts because people can no longer or not, at, you know, at the height of COVID, people are not able to, you know, go into, you know, to their broker to sign a contract. So now you're able to do all this um, electronically. Um, and then you also speak about data. So it's almost like you're talking about digitization ecosystems and data being really those, those the, the key themes that have come out of the COVID experience. Yes, and with data, you can never get it wrong because as long as it's consistent and um, you know the source and it's an authentic source, then you can confidently make a financial decision to either lend or even support any other financial need from you know, the client uh, without fear on the legitimacy of this data. Right. How many how many customers does your 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 equity bank have? Uh, equity bank has um, fifteen million customers. Okay. On, as a on your, um, yes, has fifteen million customers. Mm-hmm. On your digital platforms, that so that's that's a lot of data then <laughs> that you're able to see. So I'm going to ask maybe what's an unfair question, right? So based on the data that you see, what are some cross border payment trends? Uh, that you're seeing um, from some of the data? Uh, So the data that we currently get and every other financial institution gets is, um, and if we bring in the topic of um, cross-border transfers, any client would be looking for two things. Um, Either an individual who needs to pay money for goods or a service that I need to pay for, or I'm an institution that is extending a service or selling goods, and I need to be in a position to collect. So payments is both ways, ability to receive money as well as send money. And um, as an institution that I work with right now, uh, we are present in uh, six countries across Africa, and uh, the bank is in a position, and actually we pride ourselves in having been able to extend both collection as well as payments um, solutions to our customers, not just in those six geographies, but also other geographies where our customers are um, are domiciled across the diaspora, as well as um, within other African, within the other African regions. So if I'd speak into some of the solutions that um, work have, have worked best uh, in the financial services, it's of course um, the ability to identify in whichever market that you are active in, what are the collection tools that exist? And um, is your institution in a position to identify those collection tools? It could be collections or payment tools. It could either be bank solutions, mobile wallets, electronic wallets, as well as cash. And um, embed that in the solution that you're extending to your customers. If, um, if that makes sense, Nuru. Okay, so when you say collections, are you talking about loans? No. So okay. when you talk about collection, use a very basic example. You have, you're, you're a producer of goods that okay, you need okay, to okay. Sell. You're a producer of goods that you need to sell across six African markets mm-hmm. and you have one financial partner and everybody who's buying from you either has access to a bank account, some need to pay you in cash, others need to transfer money from the different mobile wallets, others need to, you know, 
use whatever solution that is readily available in those countries. And you need to also put into consideration the element of uh, the different currencies that are available in all those markets. So what a smart digital institution would do is make sure that first, if it's mobile wallets, who are the mobile, who are the telcos that, who are the players within the telco space in those countries? And do we have a way or a capability that we can extend to all our customers to collect or use that, you know, solution as a mobile wallet solution for purposes of paying Nuru. The same would apply if you need to make a payment out. It could be you need to do a mobile transfer. Some customers who either have smartphones, so they would heavily rely on um, what a digital device that's powered by an app. Others who have um, the different old generation phones call them that. And you need to make sure that it's either an SDK or um, USSD solutions are readily available to support the market. There are others who are heavily uh, reliant on um, internet banking. And internet banking would also require to not only pay a trader or a business partner, but also make sure they can remit uh, payments to all the other regulatory institutions pay the regulators. It could be tax. It could be the utilities. It could also be the opportunity for you to pay your employees, suppliers, um, while you still have access to, or you have visibility of everything that's happening across all your bank accounts within the region that um, within the region that you're present in. So uh, that's one element which I'd really call uh, instant payments or instant collection and payments uh, across uh, the different uh, jurisdictions. There's also been um, there's also been emergence of the BNPL, which is uh, the buy now, pay later. Uh, we mm. equally reliant on data. And what this means is, especially if you look at the consumers, consumers of the retail customers in a financial institution, it's both young and old. And as the median age in Africa keeps dropping, then we'd expect that majority of these retail customers are going to be the younger generation who are equally very tech, uh, tech savvy. And uh, maybe tech savvy, they also do not necessarily have um, too much cash on them to spend on everything they need. So if someone needs to uh, a new phone or get a new computer, um, actively transacting within those bank accounts that are domiciled in a specific entity, for instance, equity, what we are able to do is we still, again, go back to the initial discussion we had of credit scoring them and we extend facilities to them to allow them buy whatever they need to buy now. And we can agree on um, flexible payment terms. And this is happening both at a bank level as well as the company levels. The different manufacturers also have the same solution. They want to have their regular customers being able to buy more because it drives their sales while um while that the bottom line for that is really it's, it builds a lot of brand lo uh, uh, loyalty because if i can access goods or services at a reduced price for me to pay later then i'm bound to stick uh close to that uh, partner and like somebody who expects me to cough all the cash uh instant yeah, I think this whole buy now, pay later trend, I think it's a really good one because I think it helps markets keep moving, right? It's a, it's almost a way of, of creating liquidity when maybe there isn't any. Um, 
but but I wonder about concerns about over indebtedness um, because we've seen in markets like when you think about you know the global financial crisis and and how easy it was uh, for for people to to you know take on mortgages that perhaps their cash flows were not able to maintain. So I, I think maybe I think it's great, but at the same time I think there's that you know caveat around. Um, and I think that's where financial literacy comes in, right? And, and making sure customers, both at the retail and commercial level, really understand, um, you know, what they're getting into. I don't know what you think. Yes, Nuru, you've touched on two points that are very critical, and uh, some that we actually both we employ at um, at Equity. Uh, one is uh, financial literacy education, and the second bit is ensuring that um, whatever credit you extend to a customer, then you have appraised them well enough to ensure they have the capacity to pay. Mm -hmm. So if I go back to the discussion we had on data, we rely heavily on data to do our credit scoring. And this um, is what, another one for ecosystem financing, I'd call it um, cash flow based lending. So from a business angle is how much do you collect or how much passes through account of a certain period of time? And are we able to make a smart financial decision that ensures you have access to the goods you need without goods or services without um, being bad to an extent that you forfeit either the contract you have with the bank um, as well as you know exceed the amount of money that you need, which means you can't take care of your normal um, basic needs. So uh, how do we go about this? The first thing is uh, to ensure that the handshake that we spoke about, uh, it's actually about ensuring that if we play within, if we, if we engage with a specific ecosystem, we understand who sits at the top, uh, who are, and we can move from manufacturing and probably go to what we can even go to the health space. Uh, if it's a medical or a health institution, we need to know what business are they in, who's the network within that organization, nurses, is it doctors, is it pharmacists, and what role do they play? And how can we get visibility of all the, you know, sections that that move across uh, their accounts. So if we talk about suppliers of medical equipment to specific institutions like hospitals, um, what are the terms they have with those hospitals and how much money, um, you know, what does it take for them to get their payments done? And it's probably if I supply X number of goods or rather worth X amount of, I have negotiated a credit term of what, 30 days before they can pay. And so what we these customers is we just need to let them know instead of having to wait for 30 days the institution is willing to extend you credit and you probably are anchor client who's the the, the, the bigger institution who's working with suppliers able to get access to the funds you um, instantly or within a shorter period of time well this allows um, the suppliers to, to also make you know to, to, to it allows the suppliers to go about their normal business and their normal business would be not only to supply to your hospital it could be to supply five ten other hospitals that are within the same um, country or geography for instance um, the other bit on uh, the, on the data is we we need to make sure we, we always have to make sure that uh, it's reliable so it's not um it's not 
I mean, there's reliance. We have to tell who are these players and um, what kind of business are they in? What is their banking history with us? And um, it's also a tool to incentivize those who are not currently banking with us because it allows them the opportunity to see this is the opportunity. I mean, this is what I'm, I stand to benefit from the organization if I do my banking with them. Now, going back to financial literacy education, uh, we take it upon ourselves to make sure that um, we inform customers how the credit appraisal process is done, as well as um, the benefits that come with it. First things first, banks will be in a better position to make a financial decision or a credit decision if we know you collect with us and you also pay with us. Uh, what do I say this? You'll find most of the businesses have, I collect with bank A, I pay in a different bank, I also need to go and borrow from a different bank. The decision on how much we can extend to you in terms of credit as bank C is very different from one where the financial institution has access to all the money. We know you pay so-and-so, you collect from so-and-so, and this has been the account behavior of a certain, over a certain period of time. And um, we do extend these services to our customers free of charge to make sure they have knowledge, understanding, and we handhold them. And not only the individuals or the, the institutions that we, that we engage, also dig deeper to know who else do they work with? Is it their employees? Is it also their suppliers? Is it people on the demand side of the business? Uh, the, yes, the demand side of their business, who we can also extend the same uh, financial literacy education. Because knowledge is power. And if we do not allow customers knowledge of how decisioning is done, then um, we also, I don't think we should be blaming ourselves if uh, they do not honor the, the, the terms or the contracts that they get into with banks. It's our responsibility to make sure that we teach them, support them, and um, it also builds a lot of brand loyalty and, uh, and trust between both the financial institution and the customers. Right. So, yeah. So, indeed, knowledge is power. And, and I think just kind of listening to, to you, um, you realize that there's lots of opportunity, I think, in this whole space of technology and, and internet-based um, banking and finance on the continent. And, and, and I think the capacity would be the issue when you talk about everything that you're talking about. I think th there is that potential and you have new career paths opening up. Um, everything that you talked about from a payments to a collections uh, perspective, all that needs, you know, system engineers. It needs, um, you talked a lot about data. So you need data analysts to help you process and, and, and help you know, with the management information. And I think as Africa, we really need to work to enhance such technological capacities, right? So what, what would you advise younger professionals, you know, who are interested in finance and really interested in what you've said? So what, how would they get to learn about and where are some of those uh, career opportunities and how would they get trained and how would they get to, to learn about that? Well, interesting question. Uh, we learn in different, you know, some of it is out of interest and others will still go to school and um, enroll for specific courses. Um, I believe specifically in the African market, there's a lot of untapped potential and there's an opportunity for us to 
accelerate adoption of technology without overly relying on uh, external sources. And why do I say this? There is, um, I'll keep referring to data. We have a huge pool of consumers across Africa who have not accessed some of the services that we have already spoken about. And my call to any young interested professional is to actually go back and first of all identify what is broken within a specific chain. Um, it could be sector-based, it could be regional-based, it could be around you. What can I do differently using or utilizing technology to make sure that I improve um, the ways of living for myself as well as for my people? So I look at... Um, Opportunities are actually come up as a result of uh, demand creation, and it's up to us to, to identify ways we can automate the normal, the basic things that we do on a daily basis and ensure that we think through the process. Um, and while we think through the process, it means we have to bring in different people. We have to rely on, if I go back to a basic example, banking, for instance, somebody did identify the need to bank an unbanked population within the Kenyan space years back. And what, why were they not banked then? And what was the difference between those who were banked and the ones that were bankable or perceived to be uh, bankable, quote unquote. And if we sit down and go down to our different markets, our different spaces and identify a need understand it and make sure that the solution we create is addressing a specific need. You know, there's a difference between, um, there's a huge difference between us creating a solution and product pushing or pushing it to anybody to take it for consumption. And I just understanding there's a gap that exists somewhere and fulfilling it. So I believe really what, what, what's in our space and uh, the biggest, the greatest winners are going to be people who are going to identify where demand sits and uh, provide sustainable solutions to that specific need. But uh, of course, if you need to make it um, scalable and add value and simple, then um, technology is the way to, to, to do a lot of automation and also spread across different, um, across different geographies. So there's an yeah, element of learning from our communities, learning from the spaces that we that we exist on a daily basis. And there's also, there's also that element of, you need to be genuinely interested in what you're, in what you're creating and the solution that you're providing um, for you to confidently and sustainably avail that solution. Patience, patience is very key. Patience is very key, especially for us as young professionals. So whatever we need to, the solutions that we create also need to be you know, not some sort of a gold rush that allows you expect to to make it within a very short period of time. It happens, right. but not every day. Right, right. So what about you then? Let's switch gears to you. Um, <laughs> what is your, you're talking about patience and I wonder, okay, how patient was Gaki? But 
Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about your experience. You know, you've talked a lot about having interest and, you know, obviously getting the training that you need. And um, you've talked a little bit about the aspect of learning by doing and then also doing by observing your environment and trying to solve a solution. So um, obviously there are women listening to this podcast and wondering what does it take to succeed as a regional business and technology leader that you are. Um, so do you want to share some advice? Um, sure. And thanks for asking. Uh, now this is getting personal. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd, um, I'd attribute say, three things to having achieved what I have so far. One, of course, is um, you need to be very, I've, I've been very intentional about um, enriching my thought process um, and ensuring that it's quite progressive. And this comes through either reading, research, and broader, you know, it's out, out of curiosity, I, I need to understand how are things done. Why I'll keep asking so many questions. I've kept asking so many questions and also um, attracted feedback of, can we do it differently? Or what do you think about um, whatever proposal we have. So I've employed a lot of um, open-mindedness when it comes open-mindedness and curiosity to, 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 to figure things out and also attracted a lot of feedback uh, in case Nuru or any other person feels we can do things differently. And if it makes sense, then it's really not a question of my proposal versus yours, but it's more of what is going to be sustainable and what is going to create um, a solution. Uh, then I've also, there needs to be a lot of consistency and discipline and this speaks into especially young people i'm not biased against young people in Europe, but um <laughs> there the, the needs to be a lot of discipline and consistency they might think differently when you say that <laughs> <laughs> both in the professional and personal space of the professional side if you need to what to gain or lose X number of kilos, you will consistently choose a solution to it. Either change your eating habits or um, your exercise. You, you, you create a routine that's consistent enough um, and eventually you're going to see the results. So the same thing would apply even in the professional space. Uh, we need to think through, this is the end result, this is what I'd want to achieve, but how do I go about it? And will the measures that I'm taking to rather I'm employing to achieve my end result, are they sustainable? Am I also open to some sort of detours along the way? And detours would be other opinions and being welcoming of the same, but remaining focused on the end result. Uh, you need to wake up every day to do what needs to be done and create a discipline around that. Uh, otherwise, you might lose track along the way. And um, the one thing that I'll never underestimate is the need to be authentic through in, in, every, in every way. You need to be credible, you need to be dependable and also reliable because um, I look at the people that I serve on a daily basis as being customers, both internal and external. And the external customers are actually the customers of the bank. And the internal customers are the colleagues I have on a daily basis. They could be senior to me or junior to me and it's important that you keep a very open and trusted and uh, reliable way of engaging because these are the people 
who rely on to either support you in executing the duties you need executed, succeeding in the projects that you're part of or you're leading, and even the seniors, these are the people who the decisions you make or who if you go to for support in uh, achieving or settling on a specific decision, they need to, you need to earn their trust and you need, that trust can only be earned uh, through what you promised you'd do yesterday, what you promised you'd do last month, last year and the past years. And based on that, if there's a bit of, if there's, there's consistency and uh, reliability on it, these are the same people who can almost blindly say, yes, I can bet on this person and I'm sure they're going to deliver. So I have employed that to recap, uh, you know, just the need to make sure that I think uh, broadly, progressively through reading or otherwise. Uh, there's a discipline and consistency. And finally, is um, the element of being dependable or, you know, authentic. Um, and this cuts both in thought as well as action. I think what you've talked about is really about your personal data, right? So what signals and what is, how are you acting and how are you performing um, and, and how over time those actions, it, it becomes your, it's, it's your data, right? And, and based on that, people will process that data and, and take a position on who you are and they'll decide kind of like what, whether to trust you or not, right? And how influential they will allow you to be. I think that's kind of, just kind of listening to what you're saying. I think I think that's kind of what you've said, right? Yes, Nuru, to probably break that down is, um, I'll give you a very personal example. For all the assignments I undertake, I always seek to have um, a very clear KPI. And KPI mm. has something that's made the key performance indicators that there needs to be an element of you know that can be measured because i believe it's something that's measurable it also allows a lot of um, objectivity instead of subjectivity and out of that then i can figure what is expected of me over a certain period of time it could be quarterly monthly annually and if i keep consistently tracking and highlighting any gaps or any support that i need or any new ways of um, realizing this set target, then um, it becomes easier and it allows me visibility to also speak about a need well in advance or also employ or accelerate a specific um, method if that, is, if that seems to be bearing fruit uh, faster to make sure that I achieve that. Wow, thank you so much. I think we've covered a lot of ground. You know, we started really with this funny headline from the Daily Mail talking about the internet being a fad and and how it has, you know, just really become part and parcel of um, the way we live, the way we transact. And, and you've shared with us how um, data digitization and ecosystems, right, are really what we should be thinking about and trends around instant payments and collections. I think a lot of times we focus so much on the aspect of payments, we don't take it that step further to think about what is what is the collections aspect and, and the trends that you're talking about within that is, you know, obviously the, the buy now, pay later um trend so so thank you for that i think we all need to continue building our 
our capacity um, uh, in this area. And, and thank you for giving some of uh, your, your nuggets and, and your experience in terms of how you've been able to become successful. And indeed, really, it's just about being intentional, right? And, and you said you, you really, you're intentional about enriching your thought process. So thank you for that. And, and, and thank you for sharing your information. Is there anything else you might want to add? Um, let's have fun while at it. <laughs> right, right. <Yes. laughs> this is the thing, right? So, so life yeah, is short. Don't take life too seriously. We need to have fun. This is it, right? This is yes. it. Um, <laughs> thanks for that. So, so yeah. So we hear it from Gaki. Um, get serious about data and technology, but don't take yourself too seriously in the process. Um, really, Gaki, thank you for exactly. spending some time with us. Um, we really congratulate you again for your Angaza Awards recognition, and we look forward to celebrating your achievement in June, which is a few weeks away um, during the 2022 Angaza Awards ceremony. So congratulations again. My name is Nuru Mogambi. I'm the chairperson of Angaza Awards, and really it has been a pleasure to host this discussion. And um, Gaki, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Nuru. It's been a pleasure. It really has been a pleasure and thank you